All right. Good morning, everybody. Good to see you. Hope everybody's doing all right. If you guys are thankful to be in God's house with your brothers and sisters in Christ, let's make some noise for Jesus this morning. Amen. Amen. All right. Well, before we get started this morning, we have to deal with some business. Uh, Because when I got to church this morning, sitting outside of my office in a gift bag, Somebody went through the effort of putting it in a gift bag with tissue in the top. I found this shirt. And, then, and so I think it's important for you to be aware we are reviewing the camera footage. And we are excited for whatever church God sends you to next. It's going to be... Okay, here's the deal. Here's the deal. First of all, this is a medium. If I put that on, it looked like I shop a baby gap, okay? And, but then I thought to myself, you know, this company probably doesn't even make this shirt in a large because they don't make shirts for real men. You know what I'm saying? Oh! I can't really. I want to drop this mic so bad. It's like 1200 bucks though, so... Won't do that. Anyway, if you're new to the church, I don't care for cats that much. So that shirt will be for sale out in the foyer afterwards for a dollar. Uh, we had a great week this week. Uh, how many ladies got to show up for a woman night? How many ladies in the house? Woo! It was 800 ladies showed up for our woman night. 800 ladies. And man, whoo! I was real nervous there at the beginning because we had about half of them show up to eat at the food trucks. And the food trucks were not putting out food quick enough. And the only thing scarier than a sea of estrogen is a sea of hangry estrogen. <laughs> like, and I felt that coming, but thank God we got them all fed, came in here, and God moved in a powerful way. I know a lot of lives were touched and changed. It was a powerful night. And, uh, and we're very, very thankful for everybody who helped us pull off that event, all the ladies, all the gents that showed up and served and uh, made all that come together. Um, we love doing that event. We've been in this family series, been talking about a few different subjects. Uh, and today, I want to talk about parenting. And the title of today's sermon is Ingredients for the Parent. Ingredients for the, the Parent. It's clear in the Word of God that it's very important to Him that we do this right, that we raise our kids right. Um, It says, actually, in Malachi chapter 4, verse 6, he will turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the hearts of the children to their parents, or else I will come and strike the land with total destruction. It's very important to God that we get the hearts of our kids, that they get our hearts, so that ultimately all of our hearts can be pointed back towards him. I do find it interesting, though, that even though this is a very important subject to the Lord, it's one of the subjects that as soon as I begin to talk about it, and as you talk about it in any church, it's also one of the subjects that people are typically pretty closed off to learning about. Uh, If you need proof, just be out in public and watch some five-year-old have a meltdown and go and try to give their parents advice on what to do. And see if that parent is open to the advice that you have. Not typically because we get very defensive and standoffish when people try to tell us 
how we need to raise our kids. And so that is not what I'm going to do today. There is no recipe for raising kids. There's no absolute right way to do this. Uh, It's similar to the difference between having vision and having values. And so if you have vision for business, if you have vision for anything in your life, you know that that vision at one point or another will probably have to adjust and change for times to be relevant, to be successful, to be able to accomplish what you want it to accomplish. But there is something that should never change, and that is your values, the values of your home. And I think it's important that you establish what those values are in your home. Otherwise, you don't really have any clear direction. It's very difficult to accomplish vision in your home if you haven't adopted values. And so what I'm giving you today is not the recipe, but what I'm giving you is ingredients. I'm going to give you some ingredients But here's the deal. I'm not saying they're the perfect ingredients and they're not the ingredients necessarily you have to use, but they are some ingredients that I've seen work in our family. And even though my kids are young, I'm sure we're going to adjust some of these ingredients because as my kids get older, we'll have to adjust vision. But I do believe that there are values that are intrinsic to every home that are important to have. And I think that some of these ingredients hold some of those values. And I think it's important that we open our hearts and minds to what God might want to speak to us about whether or not we need some of these elements in our house. I think it's important that you can admit from the very beginning that you do not have a perfect family uh, and that you are never going to have a perfect family because it doesn't exist. Uh, I think the, the biggest issue that people typically get in is when they want their family to look perfect and it's not, but they keep pretending And then it blows up in their face, and then they're in real trouble. Instead of just saying, okay, I know that my family's not perfect. But here's the great news. Jesus' family wasn't perfect either. Like, Jesus' family, like even his siblings in in Mark chapter 3, they actually came out and told, were talking to each other and said, Jesus is out of his mind. That's what his siblings were saying about him. At one point, his brothers begged Jesus, please don't embarrass us anymore. I'm talking to Jesus. In John chapter 7, the Bible says that even one of his brothers didn't believe that he was who he said that he was. So even Jesus' home, his family, wasn't perfect. Heaven. We're all looking forward to going to heaven. How many guys want to go to heaven someday? Good place to raise your hand in church, okay? Well, heaven, I mean, it's going to be amazing. But if you look at heaven retroactively, at one point you have to remember it wasn't perfect either. Because Lucifer was there, and he was a worship leader, and he got a big head one day, and he got thrown out of heaven. So even heaven wasn't the perfect place and had some issues that it had to deal with. Because relationships are difficult. And a lot of times the relationships between parents and kids can be some of the most difficult relationships to navigate. So how many of you would admit that there's a really good chance that your home, and maybe your home specifically around raising kids, could use a little work? Anybody in the house? Well, this is what the word says about it. Proverbs 24.3 says, Homes are built 
on the foundation of wisdom and understanding. And where does that wisdom and understanding come from? It comes from the Word of God. It says in Matthew chapter 7, we referenced this when we first started this series, so I want to go back to it. Chapter 7, verse 24 says, Therefore, anyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against the house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against the house, and it fell with a great crash. And as I've mentioned before, man, I've been around those families, and I've been around those situations, man, when those homes come crashing down, the relationships inside of them fall apart. And it's a really, really sad thing to see. But as a lot of us read this, we think, well, one guy built on the sand and one guy built on the rock. No, they both built on the sand, but one dug down through the sand to find the rock, which means this. There's all kinds of wisdom. The Holy Spirit wants to help us. He's a great counselor, but we have to work some too. We got to be willing to dig a little. We got to be willing to find the rock of that wisdom and of that knowledge and build on that. But you're never going to wake up and just say, man, this is just amazing. Wow, my family just came together miraculously without even trying must just be the amazing schools that we have, and it must just be the amazing government that we have. Look, it doesn't matter. We have great schools, but you cannot expect that you're going to drop your kids off at school and pick them up when they're 18, and all of a sudden your family's going to be perfect. It's not your teacher's job to do this. It's not your children's pastor's job to do this. It's not my job to do this. It's you as sons and daughters of the King of Kings, paired up with the Holy Spirit and the Word of God, working towards this to find the rock, to build this thing on it. The Bible shows us, man, that there was a lot of people that missed this. Even people that were close to God missed it when it came to raising kids. Just study Adam and Eve a little bit and how their kids turned out. Okay, it was a pretty rocky, rocky start right from the very beginning. Moses, it's clear to see even with Moses, that he, the Bible says that he was the greatest leader that ever lived. It also said that he was the most humble person that ever lived. Both those things he wrote about himself, but we know unless the Holy Spirit told him to do it, he couldn't have been in the Bible. But you can also see clearly that Moses put his family and put his kids on the back burner to do ministry for many, many years. He missed it. David. David struggled with relationship with his kids. At one point, one of his kids, because he couldn't reconcile relationship with him, this child wound up essentially just tearing his kingdom apart because he couldn't get the relationship right. I'm sure some of you at one point or another have probably had a wayward kid. The struggle. Maybe some of you have that right now, and that is the heaviest thing on your heart. That one of your kids, man, is just... It's, it's not just that they're not listening to you. They're away from God. That's way more scary. Some of you may have even had kids that run away before because they were in that place. We started our kids running away early. Like our son Corbin, what, how, was he three, baby, maybe? Three years old. Three year old, years old, we're at our house 
uh, we had a downstairs and upstairs. And uh, at that point, we had London and Corbin and the Reeves as a baby. And it was one of those things where I thought Corbin was with Cody and Cody thought Corbin was with me. And when we figured out he wasn't with either of us, and then we started talking, well, like, what happened? Did you see him? He's like, well, yeah, he came and asked me if he could watch TV. And what'd you say? I said, no. What was the last thing he said to you? He asked me the same thing. Like, could I watch TV? Because we know how every kid does that. They try to figure out which parent they can ask to do something to figure out which one's going to give them the favorable answer, right? He didn't get the favorable answer from either one of us. And so he's gone. So we're looking all over the house because he likes to hide in the backyard and all over the place. He's nowhere around our house. So we go outside. We start yelling down the street and he's nowhere to be seen. So we're calling up some neighbors and now some of our neighbors and people that we're in Conway at the Conway campus at that point. So we got people that are helping us look and we're looking all over the place. We wind up walking a little over a mile away from our house. And as we're walking down the street, we see Corbin walking down the street with his lady, walking towards us. And y'all know that this can be a very uncomfortable situation because you already feel like a loser as a parent, right? Uh, and, and so, you know, you can't pretend like, oh, yeah, we always send them out at three years old to play in various places all over the city. You know, we clearly lost track of our kid, and so we're walking up to him, and we're like, Corbin, where were you? <laughs> we were so worried about you, but it's like the tone you were worried and scared, but you want to kill him uh, at the same time. And so this lady was like, little boy, are these your parents? And you could see it in his eyes for just a second. <laughs> Thinking about, hmm. And thankfully, he said, yes. Turns out, Corbin, when we told him he couldn't watch TV in our house, he just started wandering the neighborhood looking for open doors. (laughs) Found this lady's house. Her door was open, walked inside, plopped himself on the couch, and turned on the TV. (laughs) She's back in her room in her bathroom, and here's the TV on, and she's home alone. So she comes out, probably armed, I would, and finds our son sitting on her couch watching Bob the Builder. And and so brought him out. So, look, that was the first of probably a dozen times now that Corbin has decided to run away from house. And so we all make mistakes. And it's not always easy to know what to do or what to say right? Because it doesn't matter what book is out there on how to raise kids and all that. And a lot of those principles can apply, but every one of them is individually created by God. And so they're all wired a little different. So you never know exactly how they're going to respond to stuff or, or the right way to say things to get them to try to do something. A lot of us have tried, man, we've tried over and over and over again, different methods. How do you get them to stop doing and acting this way and this behavior? Pastor Rick was telling us, that when he was a little kid, when he was like a toddler, he was still sucking his thumb. So Miss B, his mom, was trying to get him to stop sucking his thumb because he was like four or five years old. And so he was like getting to a place. He was like, you got to stop sucking on your thumb. So she tried everything. She tried everything. She tried putting Tabasco sauce 
on his thumb. Problem is, he's a Cajun, so he just liked that even more. He's like, oh, that tastes like crawfish, you know, or something like that. So she could not get, so she was desperate. She, she just told him, she's like, here's the deal. If you, if you keep sucking on your thumb like that, your belly is going to blow up huge until it explodes. And it scared him. So then a couple days later, they go to Walmart. And they're walking down one of the aisles. And this nine-month pregnant lady is coming the other way. And so Rick goes up to Ricky, that's what he was referred to at that point, goes walking up to this lady and says, I know what you've been doing. (laughs) You're far too young to know about that. (laughs) So we mess up. Here's some ingredients from the word of God that can help us with raising kids. First, keep Jesus at the center of your home. Keep Jesus at the center of your home. Okay, so this one's probably like, oh, of course he's going to say this one, you know. But, but why? Why do we need to do this? What's going to be in the center of your home? Because here's the thing, even though the easy answer may be, well, God, Jesus, Jesus is going to be at the center of my home. But the, the, here's the issue. The issue is you may say that, but I can clearly identify what is at the center of your home by what you worship. And whatever you are spending the most amount of your time and your money, energy, and effort on is typically what you worship. And so even though it may be obvious, like, yeah, we want Jesus to be at the center. Here's the deal. My family has struggled most when I haven't had Jesus at the center. And this has had ser- happened several times. Usually because of, of my work at church or my worry about something around church. Where all of a sudden I get in the flesh and Jesus is not at the center and we will always struggle. And during those seasons, typically my family is just kind of coasting. The problem is you can only coast downhill. And so that's not a great direction to be heading. And so you have to get Jesus back at the center. And Paul was talking about this. He was addressing this in Acts and talking to these people about the things that they worship. I think it's interesting how it can correlate and relate to where we are. It says this in chapter 17, verse 23. For as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, these idols, I found an altar with this inscription to an unknown God. Now what you worship is something unknown I'm going to proclaim to you. So this is, I think, a great question. What are you unknowingly or unwittingly worshiping worshiping in your home? What's at the center and then he's trying to bring it back to, okay, but this, if you're putting your time and your energy and effort towards this, I want to tell you what you should be worshiping, where you're going to get the answers. Are you worshiping grades, sports, your status, money? What is it that is at the center that is a priority right now that isn't God? He goes on to say, the God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and, wait a minute, hold on. It is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by hands. And he determined the times set for them and the exact places where they should live. God did this so that men would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. And this is so important. 
You have to know that nobody is sitting here on accident. God has placed you here on purpose. Every single person that's here. You may have thought like, well, no, because I I had this career and my job. And God is orchestrating all of that. But the thing is, if you really want to understand what it means to walk in joy and peace, you've got to recognize that he's the one that's orchestrating and you've got to put him at the center. Because it's so much better to live life when you can confidently know God has placed us here. So if it's not working out, or if it's working out great, either way, he's going to get the glory. And we're going to put him at the center. God knew that he was going to move me, born and raised in Colorado, loved the mountains, loved all that, to central Arkansas, to pastor. He knew that I was going to get married to Cody. He knew that he was going to give me four amazing kids that test me every day of my life. But if I don't recognize that he has to be at the center, if I don't recognize that he is the creator of the heavens and the earth and he is sovereign and he is doing everything on purpose, I will try to do all those things without him and without peace and without joy. So he has to be at the center. He has to be at the center. And I think it will be obvious to people around you when Jesus is at the center of your house. In Acts chapter 4, Peter and a couple of disciples, they're talking to the Sanhedrin. And this is what it says about them. The members of the council were amazed that they saw the boldness of Peter and John. For they could see that they were just ordinary men with no special training in the scriptures. So some of y'all think, man, well, of course you believe that. You're a pastor. Come on now. Jesus didn't go and pick religious leaders. He picked normal people to follow him. So this applies to you. It says they also recognized them to be men who had been with Jesus. So the question is, do people recognize that you've been with Jesus? Do they recognize your family has been with Jesus? <laughs> do they recognize your kids have been with Jesus? Oh, not all the time. But I do think that if he is there, they will recognize it eventually. Only one thing could be at the center. And I've talked about this before because a lot of us, we make the list, and it seems like the list is the right list. Like, what goes first? Well, first you have Jesus. And then you have your family. And then you have your career. And then you have hobbies. And all that seems to be right. But it's off. Because if you look at each one of these, if you think about this, you can't bring your family into your career. Or you can't bring your hobbies into your career. Why? Because these things operate autonomously. So really it's not, here's the, here's the order. Because if you live this way, then you say, well, Jesus is first, but you won't bring Jesus into your career. And then you won't bring Jesus into your hobbies. And the way Jesus wants it is he wants to be number one in your family and number one in your career and number one in your friendships and number one in your hobby. He wants to be number one in all of it. He wants to be the center. 2 Corinthians 5.14 Christ's love has the first and last word in everything we do. In everything we do. I think the reasons why so many families struggle, especially in our culture, is because our priorities are out of whack and we aren't putting Jesus first in everything. And I think, honestly, and I've mentioned this a little bit before, the number one reason why so many families struggle is because we're putting our kids first before Jesus. We've put our kids at the center of everything. A lot of you, I understand this, a lot of you picked this church because of your kids. 
and, and I'm not saying that's a bad thing because we have amazing children's ministry and youth pastors. In fact, if you're thankful for little life and kid life and 412 and real life, all these groups, man, they're amazing. And so we get, and we get that people make decisions where they're going to go to church based on their kids. And here's the thing. It can't stay that way. It can't stay that way. There's so much danger in this. Because then all of a sudden, what if something changes? What if you have to move? Well, if you have to move, I just want to encourage you. Don't put your kids first. Put Jesus first. If you'll do that, he'll take care of your kids. I promise. But if you're coming to any church, you're getting around Jesus because of what your kids are picking. At one point or another, 10 years down the road, your little girl is going to find a boyfriend at some other church. And what are you going to do? Just switch churches like you switch channels? God, that's not healthy. That makes you very, very weak in your roots. And so you can't make decisions around all this. You've got to put Jesus first. I'm so thankful. Even though, look, my parents got divorced when I was 13 years old. And, and they've made so many mistakes. And here's the thing. The, the, by the grace of God, they know those mistakes. They've admitted to those mistakes. They've admitted those mistakes to each other. They know that they haven't been perfect, but the one thing that I'm thankful for is both of my parents have always put Jesus at the center. They put Jesus at the center. Clearly, they missed it somewhere or they wouldn't be divorced. But they saw those things. They repented. They, 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 they didn't get back together, unfortunately, but they repented of their mistakes and their sin, and they got Jesus back at the center. I'm so thankful for that. I'm thankful for the way that they've loved me my mom, man, even, even when I've made huge mistakes throughout the course of my life, she's always been so good at loving me the way Jesus loves me. I'm so thankful for that. I'm thankful for her grace. I was thinking about that this, this last week. And so my mom, sometimes she listens to these recordings. And so mom, if you're listening to this recording, I just want to say, I'll, I'll, I'm sorry. I was just thinking about all the pain and all the disobedience and all the late nights and, and all the rebellion and all the tears that my brother and sister put you through. And <laughs> God, it's just, it's a lot. And I'm just thankful that God put us together, you know, um, so that you could have a really great kid in your life that was <sighs> just so obedient to the ways of God and No, I made a lot of mistakes. But I know this for a fact. I would not be the man that I am today if it weren't for my parents making the decision to put Jesus first. That's a fact. Number two, don't make excuses for your kids or for yourself. Now, so the first one's like, oh, that one's obvious. Now I'm going to get into some stuff you probably didn't think I was going to talk about. Don't make excuses for your kids or for yourself. James 5.16, admit your faults to one another and pray for each other so you may be healed. I've noticed this. If parents don't get really good at admitting their mistakes and their faults, don't expect your kids to admit their mistakes and their faults. They're probably not going to do it um, because they're going to live according to the example that you set. And so I could speak specifically to dads on that because dads, we stink at that. We stink at admitting our faults and our failures but I know in my life with my kids, like if I want them to be truthful and honest and admit when they've made mistakes, I've got to set the example. And if I want them to run to repentance and run to admitting it, then I can't let years go down the road before I come back and admit that I made a mistake. I want to do it as soon as the Holy Spirit is on it and confess it as soon as I can and repent 
1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, then he is faithful. He is faithful and just to forgive our sins. So confess just means no excuses. Man, no excuses. Like we live in a culture, man, where everybody is making excuses for everything. Like nobody takes personal responsibility anymore. And we're so worried about offending everybody about everything. And so we tiptoe around, oh, I don't know. And and, and I think when you live in that place, when you live in that place, you will be so negative and pessimistic. We have people that like things that we're trying to do to bless people, they'll be negative and pessimistic. And I can tell us because they're not living real. They're not living genuine. But we've had people tell us that we shouldn't do our father-daughter ball. Why? Because not everybody has a dad. Well, that's true. But could you imagine if we live our lives just trying to figure out how do we not offend everybody and try to please everybody? I'm just so thankful to come to a church where we get to clear out some chairs and cut a little rug with our little girls. Like we can dance in church. Most of the churches I grew up around, they were against premarital sex because they thought it led to dancing. Like, hated it. Don't make excuses. Don't make excuses. Like, if you make excuses, I've seen people making excuses for full-grown children. And I could tell, man, it started when they were little. How does it start? Well, I'm sorry, they're just hungry. They're really tired. They're cutting a tooth. Look, all those things are real, and I get that. And I get that they can, I've got four kids. I've been through it, but just admit your mistakes. Instead of making uh, excuses, just say this. When your kids make mistakes, just say, yeah, I'm sorry. We're working on that. We're working on that. By the grace of God, someday maybe he'll help us get it right. But in the meantime, we're just working on it. We're weak. We're working on it. Number three, be led by the Spirit of God. Be led by the Spirit of God. Uh, I think it's important to teach your kids to pray before they hear yay or nay. Like, they need to pray. They need to seek God first. Uh, there's a lot of times, and my kids are young, and so I, I'm, I'm just getting in the season, but I've been around enough youth, I've been enough, around enough college and high school age, man, I know how this works, but there will be times when your kids are going to come and ask you to do something. And I think it's very important that you have already been hanging out around the Holy Spirit before that question comes. Because there's going to be times, and, and I've already mentioned this, because you know that your kids are going to come to you, and they can, they can spin it. They can give you a sales pitch. You know, they could sell a refrigerator to an Eskimo sometimes with the things that they would tell you about this thing that they want to go do and how amazing and how great it's going to be. And they will always pitch it to the parent that they think is more favorable that's going to let them to go and do this. And so you've got to be hanging out around the Holy Spirit. Because I have learned, even with my kids being young, the Holy Spirit will give me what I call a check. The Holy Spirit will give you a check. Like, I don't, something's not right about this. Something is not right about this. I've got a check. I don't have a piece about this. And so, no, you're not going to do this. And we're not ever going to use the, the excuse of, well, you can't do that because you're a pastor's kid. No, that has nothing to do with that. It has everything to do with the Word of God and what the Holy Spirit is helping us with. Here's the deal. (laughs) I'm never going to have a regret. I promise you, I'm never going to have a regret with telling my kids that they couldn't go do something because I had a check. I don't care what it is. 
I'm just never going to have a regret. I also never want to have the regret of having a check and letting them, in spite of the check, go and do something and something terrible happening and having to live with that. I'm never going to have a regret. I was just being obedient to what I felt like the Lord was telling me to do. I'm never going to have a regret about that. But you have to have the Holy Spirit helping you. It says in Romans 8, 14, For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. Isaiah 30, 21, And your ears shall hear the word behind you, saying, This is the way. Walk in it. When you turn to the right or to the left, the Holy Spirit will help you. Go and ask him. Spend time with him. This is why you've got to stay connected to him. Because these times with your kids are going to come. Number four, quality time. You've got to have some quality time. Hebrews 10, 25. Do not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encourage one another all the more as you see the day approaching. What's the day? The day is like the end. And so it's important that we're fellowshipping. Now, everyone, this is specifically talking about not forsaking the gathering of the saints in the church. And I'm gonna, I want to just encourage you, some of the most incredible quality time that you will ever have as a family is when you come into the house of the Lord and worship together and consume his word together. It's amazing. In those days when you miss, man, it, you can miss a few, but eventually it's going to hurt you. And it's going to hurt your ability to lead your kids. I promise you. So I think it's important that you plan your time. Plan it. There's nothing wrong with having scheduled time. But I think you have to be very intentional about this. If you don't, then your time will just slip away. Carnell University did a study where they put these recording devices on a thousand fathers, a thousand dads, and studied them over a month. When they came back in, they gathered the data. The average father spent 37 seconds a day communicating to their kids. 37. And that, you know what? I don't think that's because they're bad dads. I think it's because they didn't plan to be better dads. They didn't plan to have time with their kids. So how do you do this? You plan family nights. You plan family nights. And these are like immovable things. Like on one, one way or another, even if something happens, one way or another, you're going to do something as a family structure on a family night. Uh, for us, it's Friday nights. Friday nights is our family night. And, I, and for the most part, like we never miss these things. And sometimes Cody's going out with the boys and have a date with the boys. And sometimes I'm taking the girls out whether, while the boys stay at home with the mom and, or we do it all together. But we're intentional. We're talking to them. We're talking to them. When we have family nights, listen up. We are in the moment. We want to be there. And I've struggled with some personal conviction on this. And Cody called me out on it recently. And we realized, man, we got to get this back in check. Because we realized there was way too much time we were checking our devices. You cannot be in the moment with your family if you're too busy living in a cyber moment with someone else. You've got to be there present 100%. And so it may mean that all the devices of, of your house, they go into a device place that is locked with lasers and like guard dogs and an arm guard. Like you don't touch this when we're having family time. You be intentional about this. Be intentional about this. 
Number five, be aware of the highs and lows of your family. So one of the things we'll do from time to time is we're sitting around the dinner table and we're having a difficult time getting conversation going and, and all of you all know how that can be. We just go to highs and lows. What does that mean? What was the high of your day? What was the low of your day? What was great and what was tough? And some kids, some like, they didn't have a low. That's great. And some of them, they didn't have a high. Well, we talk about those things. And we're aware of those things. Um, one of the things that, that a lot of businessmen use, and, and, but we use it as pastors too, I use it, it's called a heat map. And, and it's just identifying the things around your life, around the things that you're working on that are on fire, that are lit up, that are creating heat and pressure. And I have a heat map for my family. I have a heat map for understanding what kid needs a little bit extra time, a little bit extra attention. And when we measure the highs and lows, it helps me to start gauging, okay, which kid might I need to spend a little extra time with and shift over until that thing can cool down and become more normal again. Number six, demonstrate love to your spouse. I understand some of you don't have a spouse, okay? Uh, And I get that. But if you're in a family, you have kids, uh, and you have a spouse, I think it's incredibly important that you are demonstrating to them affection. You're demonstrating to them um, the kind of relationship that God wants to have with them, to be close to them. It says this in Mark 3.25, A house house divided against itself is a house that cannot stand. And so I think it's very important that even if things are going really well between you and your spouse, if you're not demonstrating things are going really well, your kids need to see this. Your kids need to see this. So when I'm around the kid, I'm hugging and kissing on Cody all the time. And everybody knows you have little kids like, oh, yeah, yeah. but what you'll notice is they will be peeking. <laughs> because the truth is, even though they think it's gross, and I'm fine with them thinking it's gross until they're 30. But, but, but even though they, they're acting like they think it's gross, there's this thing that is inherent intrinsic that God has placed inside of them that is longing and needing to see their mom and their dad in love with each other. They just need to see that. And so I'll be hanging out, and, and then I'll, you know, slap her on the butt, and then kiss her, and then compliment her, and then kiss her, and then flirt with her, and then kiss her, tell her she's pretty, and kiss her. And so there's just a lot of affection happening around our house. I think the most important thing is this. Your kids need to know that when you come home, your first priority is to spend time with your spouse before anything else. So it may mean that you like literally need to just go sit on a couch while the rest of the kids are coming in and trying to get you to help with homework or, help, or come play with them or do whatever. And you say, you know what? I'm going to come do that in a little bit. But right now, I'm hanging out here. We're going to spend some time together. They need to see that priority. Number seven, tell the truth. Tell the truth. If you're going to live in a lie, man, you will end up anywhere. There's just no telling where. And uh, we can clearly see that this is one of the first ways that we got off track as mankind. Adam and Eve lied to God. One of the first things, though, that their kids did was lie to God. 
In Genesis 4, 9, it says, Then the Lord said to Cain, Where is your brother, Abel? Well, I don't know, he replied. Am I my brother's keeper? He knew where he was. He had killed him. So what does a lie mean? A lie means the intent to deceive. Okay? So be aware of half-truths. Or just omitting key information. Like, well, I didn't lie. I just didn't include everything. Or cover-ups. Or pretending like you have selective amnesia. If you will tell the truth today, then you won't have to live a lie tomorrow. And it will wear you out and ultimately hurt your family, including your kids, if you're living in a lie. Uh, Satan is the father of lies. That's like what he does. It says this in John 8, 44, speaking about Satan, was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he is speaking his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. <laughs> and it's amazing to see these people throughout the word of God, these characters in the Bible, that <laughs> just ridiculous lies. Like Aaron. Moses was up on the mountain getting the Ten Commandments. He starts coming down off the mountain, and while he's a long ways off, he sees all of Israel there, and they're there worshiping a golden calf. He's like, I'll leave you for five seconds, you know, and, and he comes back, and so they're all worshiping this idol, and so he goes to Aaron, who he left in charge, and said, like, Aaron, what is going on? Why are everybody's worshiping an idol? Like, I just got the Ten Commandments, and you're worshiping an idol. This is what he, this is what he said. This is so funny to me. In Exodus 32, well, I told them, like, whoever has gold jewelry, just, like, take it off. And so they gave me the gold, and then I threw the fire, and out came this calf. So, I don't know, just, yeah, it's ridiculous. Potiphar's wife, you ever think about this? Potiphar thought, till the day that she died, that she got away with a lie about Joseph, that Joseph had tried to rape her. But we all know that's not true because we read it in the most publicized book that has ever existed on the history of the planet. So lies won't work. The word says that every lie that you have will be found out. It will be exposed. It'll happen. So if you tell your kids that Friday night is family night, you better do it. If you tell your kids you're going to go on a family trip, you better do it. If you tell your kids that you're going to discipline them when they get home, you better do it. If you have a tendency to forget about it, tell them on the spot. And you're going to remind me. And if you don't, you're getting twice as bad as what I was originally going to give you. It works. Trust me. <laughs> Proverbs 22.1. A good name is more desirable than great riches. Tell the truth. Number eight, show affection. Show affection. Not every family does this well. It says in Romans 12.10. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Affection is just a very healthy way um, to show love. It's therapeutic for your kids. And I know some of you, you don't like this. Some of you are a porcupine. And anytime somebody gets around you, but I'm telling you, when it comes to your kids, you better find a soft spot somewhere. They need this. They need this. You know, kids were coming to Jesus all the time. Coming to Jesus and, and wanting him to embrace them. And Jesus was not, oh, no, no, no. Go with God, but no hug for you. 
Like, he embraced every kid that came to him. I always wonder, like, what did he tell him when he was hugging him? I think it's very important to have this affection. So, good policy. Try to never leave your house without showing affection to every person in the house. Um, leave, leave them with a good impression. Number nine, be an encourager. Hebrews 3.13. Man, I'm going long, but this is important. But encourage each other every day while it is today. Help each other so none of you will become hardened because of the sin that tricked you. We have um, destroyed people with our words. And you've heard the saying, you know, sticks and stones will break my bones, words will never hurt me. That's not biblical. It's not biblical. It says in Proverbs 12, 18, reckless words pierce like a sword. And so many parents have cut their kids down with criticism. So many kids have blown up on their parents just saying stuff that they regret, that they don't mean, but they're angry. I think you can circumvent those things by creating an atmosphere that is more encouragement. Uh, get, get ahead of those things. I think in your house, a lot of this kind of stuff should be said. I love you. You're more important than me. Thank you so much. How can I pray for you? You look nice today. I like your new hairstyle. Great job. This family wouldn't be the same without you. I'm proud to be your brother or sister. You're irreplaceable. I'm glad you're my mom. You're a cool brother. There's something about you that I like so much, I just can't put my hand on it. Your life brings a smile to me. Things like that. Versus, I hate you. Loser, you disgust me. I wish you'd never been born. I wish you were dead. You make me sick. I want a divorce. Nobody cares about you. I'll never speak to you again. Which house would you rather live in? Think about that as an ingredient with your kids. Ephesians 4.29, Do not let any unwholesome talk come into your mouths, but only what is helpful for the building up of others according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And number 10 is have fun in your home. And Pastor Rick spoke this message last night. And I'll tell you this, out of anyone I know, Pastor Rick has the most immoral authority that I know of anybody. In other words, I listen to what he says when it comes to raising kids and how to have a family because I can see the fruit. I can see the fruit. And so I trust it. Uh, And he spoke on this last point on how to have fun in your home last night. And I want us to listen to it right now. Have fun in your home. Guys, one day, I think it was the Lord. I was speaking to the family years ago and I was at a traffic light. Uh, right after I got through speaking. In fact, I was going to another campus. And I was in a center lane, and uh, there was cars, cars on both sides of me. And I was waiting for it to turn green. And I looked to my right, and this family was laughing. They were joking around. There was so much joy. It looked like they were going to church to me. And they were joking and dancing and laughing. And one was talking to one in the back seat. It was just so much life. I was like, wow, what a cool family. 
I wish I knew who they were. I, I remember thinking, I hope they're in our church. And I looked over and this other family looked like they were going to church too. And they were yelling at each other. And there was tension there. No one, no one was laughing. It looked like a family that hasn't seen laughter in years. The scripture says, the joy of the Lord is your strength. Where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. A merry heart does good like a medicine. But a broken spirit dries up the bones. Enjoy your life with your wife, whom you love, all the days of your life. My kids don't care if I'm successful. They want to know, is dad fun? I was reading this article of President George H.W. Bush, the oldest one whose wife died this week, Barbara. And they said, what is your greatest accomplishment? Well, he could have said, uh, it was when I was shot down in World War II and lived through it, that whole deal. Could have been when he said I was the leader of the CIA, an ambassador to China. Could have been when he said I was vice president of the United States of America for eight years. He could have said it was when I was president for four years. He could have said it was when I was winning the Gulf War so quickly and with such safety. But that's not what he said. He said, my greatest accomplishment is knowing that my children still love to come home. I'll tell you, that comes from fun. So to close out, I'm not poetic, and I don't go around reading a lot of poems. But this one, it messed with me early on in raising my kids. My precious boy with golden hair came up one day beside my chair and fell upon his bended knee and said, Oh, Mommy, please play with me. And I said, Not now. Go on and play. I've got so much to do today. And he smiled through tears and eyes so blue when I said, Well, we'll play when I get through. But the chores lasted all through the day and I never did find time to play. And when supper was over and the dishes done... I was much too tired for my little son, so I tucked him in and kissed his cheek and watched my angel fall asleep. And as I tossed and turned upon my bed, those words kept ringing in my head. Not now, son, go on and play. I've got so much to do today. And I fell asleep, and in a minute span, my little boy is a full-grown man. No toys are there to clutter the floor, no Dirty fingerprints on the door, no snacks to fix, no tears to dry. The rooms now just echo my lonely sigh. And now I've got time to play, but my precious boy has gone away. And I awoke myself with a pitiful scream and realized it was just a dream. For across the room is his little bed, lay my curly-haired boy, the sleepyhead. My work will wait until another day. But for now, I got to find some time to play. Look, it's always worth it to do it with Christ. He's amazing at forgiving our mistakes and teach us, teaching us how to not do it again. Let's bow our heads. Let's do that. Let's just go to the Lord and pray right now. And I want to pray over you. Um, the first thing I want to say is, I can sense that there are pockets of regret all over this room. 
of that poem being a reality for some of you where you you feel like you've missed it. And I want to say that God's grace is sufficient and he'll help you. And And I don't know what all the situations are, but I know this. I know if I was in that place, I would not waste another moment and another second. If it's a grown child, maybe you haven't talked to them, maybe, I don't know what it is, but I would reach out to them. I would call them, I would text them. I would try to to make sure that they understand how much I love them and how much Jesus loves them. And, and for those of you that maybe you've just been missing it recently or whatever it is, I just want to let you know that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So the word of God helps us to see where we are, not to leave us there, but to help us to move forward. And I believe the Holy Spirit is going to help you to move forward. I want to pray for you today. I pray that your family will keep Jesus in the center of it all. I pray that you will have wisdom and clear direction from the Lord. I pray that your family will have the joy of the Lord in his peace. I pray that you will all be close to each other, that you will love each other. I pray that your words will not be condemning, but full of life. I pray your kids will grow in the admonition of the Lord. I pray the broken family will be healed in Jesus name I pray that the Lord will turn the heart of the parent back to their kids and the heart of the child back to their parents and I pray that the heart of this family will seek after you all the days of their lives in Jesus name if you're here today you've never surrendered your life to Jesus maybe you need to make him your Lord and Savior especially, you know, if you're raising kids. I just don't know how anybody can do it without Jesus at the middle and at the center, but it starts with you having a relationship with him. If you're here today and you've never done that, or maybe you need to come back to him, you just need to rededicate your life because you know that you're away from him. The truth is he's always loved you and he's continued to pursue you. Well, maybe today is the day for you to turn around and meet him. And if that's you, nobody looking around, every head bowed, every eye closed. So I want to pray for you. I'm just going to ask you to be bold with this decision. I'm not going to embarrass you, but if that's you, will you please put your hand up so I know who I'm praying with? As soon as I see your hand, you can put it down. But if you know you need a relationship with Jesus today, got it? Yes. Anybody else? Got it. Thank you, sir. I need Jesus. I want to surrender my life to him today. Anybody else? Thank you for those couple of hands. Praise God for that. Just tell them this. If, you're, if you raise your hand, just tell them this right there in your chair. Tell them, Lord, here's my life, and I know I've made some mistakes, and I can't save myself. But right now, I believe that you sent your son Jesus to die on the cross for me. I thank you for that. I confess that I'm a sinner, and I want to repent. I want to turn away from living for myself, and I want to live for you. Give me a new start. I thank you, God, that you heal the pain, you heal the regret. 
You give me hope. You give me joy. You give me peace in you. Thank you for that. Father God, I thank you for your grace on every parent that's in this room. I thank you for your grace for every person who's going to be a parent. I especially thank you for your grace for those that want to be parents, but it hasn't worked out yet. God, you are perfect in your timing and plan, and we trust you. Lord, we're going to continue to put you at the center, and we know out of the overflow of our life and pursuit of you will help us to raise kids that will glorify you and build your kingdom. We thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. If you're thankful for God's word, there's a couple people that raise their hand. Let's give God some praise in this house this morning. Amen.